Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. This is Take One with Bill Cameron. What's going on in Chicago? What the hell is going on? A look at the top stories of the week. I mean, I've got this thing, and it's golden. Listen to the podcast at WLSAM.com. How much scrutiny do I have? You go scrutinize yourself. <laughs> I get scrutiny every day. Now, here's Bill Cameron. Ted Brady is here. He's a moderate Republican, a former chairman of the state GOP. Pat, welcome back. Great talking to you, Bill. We miss you. What do you think of the state of your party these days? I think nationally, actually, it could shake out okay. I think the debt uh, limit negotiations, I think Speaker McCarthy has all of his folks behind him, and I think they've held the Democrats to task for spending more than they, they should. And I think nationally they're doing okay. The Senate looks pretty good. Uh, in the next election cycle and keeping the House, too, for Republicans. That being said, that could all change depending on who the nominee is at the presidential level. Well, but the midterms, you know, didn't go so great for the Republicans. Isn't that a bad sign for the future? I think that was a bad sign for the future if uh, Donald Trump's the party nominee um, and it, it's a little more complicated than that, I think, too. I mean, Trump, again, was a huge drag on the ticket, particularly in the suburbs, which hurt you know, nationally. And actually, we felt that effect here in Illinois. But the Republicans, and I think they're coming up with a, an effective message on the Dobbs decision. They have to have a better message on um, the abortion issue than they had, which was more important an issue than we thought going into the election. Um, so I think those two things and. Here in Illinois, for Republicans, they're going to have to come up with a better answer on um, the assault weapons ban. Because yeah. there are a lot of people that you know live up in the city or the urban areas that are, are sick of crime. And the main driver of crime right now, if you talk to anybody in law enforcement, is there's too many guns floating around. Right. Well, let's break those two down. On Dobbs, what would be a moderate position that would win votes in coming elections uh, while still pacifying the uh, you know, very strong pro-life wing of the party. I, well, I think for on the abortion issue, and we're seeing this nationally, and I think it's in some other states, I mean, to set a, a time that abortions are illegal, meaning like 15 or 16 weeks or whatever, I think that's a message you can sell in the suburbs because you're to suburban women, at least. You're not outlawing abortion, but you're putting in reasonable restrictions on it. Where Republicans can make gains, I think, are on the, extreme elements of the Democratic Party on late-term abortions and some of the things that the majority of people just don't agree with that are some of the Democrats, the extremes of the Democratic Party on the left are pushing. So I think if you can come up with a more uh, compromised position on that that doesn't really compromise the principles of the party, I think that would be effective. On the gun issue, there are a lot of things we could do, uh, background checks and things we've talked about before, but we've got to do something because just being – you know, unrestricted support for gun ownership, even though there is a Second Amendment. Uh, that's just not the reality anymore if you live in, in an urban area. But there's probably some room in there, you know, to uh, that everybody can agree, keep guns away from crazy people. But I don't know what that solution is, because that would be like a government function. And it so often is not a high performer. So do you see a way on guns that would... Uh, not scare the right that they're coming to confiscate my guns, but on the other hand, would keep guns out of the hands of the crazies? I think we have seen some progress on the red flag laws, right? A lot of these are mental health issues, and um, I think that has actually been effective, and I think that doesn't scare people necessarily, but I'm not sure exactly what the compromise would be, and that's going to have to be a discussion we have going forward in the next couple of months because it can't be any kind of restriction um, is a non-starter for Republicans or the suburban voters is not going to come your way. 
Do you take any uh, optimism from the Supreme Court, at least temporarily upholding the uh, Illinois assault weapons ban? Yeah, but I'd like to see the issue resolved within the legislature, just some kind of compromise so we can get the issue off the table. As long as that is a top issue for Republicans, even though it does great downstate, where the vast or overwhelming majority of the voters live, you know, within eyesight of the, the Hancock building uh, or the Sears Tower, the Wills Tower, excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, it just doesn't play well. So I, I wish they could work something out legislatively that wouldn't be so subject to such constitutional scrutiny. Yeah, but they got to want to do it. and uh, Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's the problem. There's a lot of things, and, and the Safety Act might have created more problems than it solved. But you're right, they do want to do it. And, and the Democrats can do it. They have supermajorities in both houses, and, and they have the governor. They can do whatever they want. Right. And back on abortion, I've seen some new laws around America setting the ban at six weeks and maybe 12 weeks. But you think those are too stringent? You know, I don't have an answer. I mean, I'm thinking that 12 or 13 might be more reasonable, but that's something that just need to have the debate on. I mean, you know, we read Roe versus Wade probably 20 times in law school. It was a horribly written decision, whether you support abortion or not. It was just a bad uh, constitutional decision. So this discussion, whether you agree or agree with or disagree with abortion being back in the states, is now going to allow us to have the discussions that didn't happen 50 plus years ago in Roe versus Wade. So that's just one of those, that timelines is something we're going to have to work through, but it seems like six a little light and 30 is a little much. Yeah. Uh, so a compromise might be possible, but again, if the right wants to do it. I think so, but they're, the reality is we need to look at where the, the party is and when we lost the House, uh, the Senate, and, and the White House, although we got the House back by four or five votes, a handful of votes in the last election cycle. We've got to take a real hard look. And another thing, too, Trump's not really a conservative. Trump's a populist. I mean, he spent more money than any president in history. Um, he, uh, you know, did, he played footsie with a lot of dictators, uh, didn't support, doesn't support what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, Trump did that weren't conservative. I don't think the party at the very top, if, if he's the leader, is really a conservative party anymore. It's a Trump party, and it's Trumpism, but certainly not Reagan or McCain conservative. Okay, let's talk about the veto-proof margins in the Illinois House and Senate. Just awful. Uh, how do we? How do you build back the Republican Party that does seem to me to be leaning hard right? And it is, and you saw the results. I mean, Darren Bailey in a five-way race in the primary got what fifty-eight percent of the vote. So and he ran as a hardcore, far you know, Trumpy. So that's kind of where the party is. But we took huge losses. And continued to lose in, in the suburbs, but I, I think we, Tony McComey, the new minority leader, and John in the House and John Kern in the Senate, I think they're two rational people. I think they understand what needs to be done. In fact, Tony McComey said in an interview down in Springfield a couple of weeks ago that she would support a pro-choice um, candidate in the suburbs. So that's a good start, at least recognition that on that issue and maybe others that uh, the far right positions just aren't going to win. You got to do the basics in the state party, yeah. like candidate recruitment. How do you rate the party for that? Well, it's hard uh, when you don't have an, a structure. By comparison, and, and give the Democrats credit, and Governor Pritzker, whether you like or dislike him, he's really put that party together. And, you know, in the in the fallout with uh, Madigan, I mean, they just last week announced that they're putting in, but they have a full functioning statewide party now, like Republicans did. It, in the 90s and on the flip side and i'm not blaming the chairman for this it's tough to raise money they don't have much of a a party organization and we saw here in the brandon johnson uh victory you know a month or so ago uh, the public sector unions are now the machine and the republicans don't have anything to really rival that particularly if we take i think a wrong-headed position against uh private sector labor so at some point they got to figure out uh, how they're going to get their voters to the polls, or you're not going to be able to recruit candidates. And one of the other things that I just knowing, cause I try to recruit candidates, there are a lot of women in the suburbs that will not run as Republicans. If Trump's the nominee, they just won't do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people don't vote as you know, better than me. Uh, so no. so, so one, one of the real opportunities for moderate Republicans 
is to come up with a plan to somehow persuade people who just don't care and don't come out to do so for important reasons. Now, what would that pitch be? I think it's morphed now into an economic pitch. It used to be, at least conventional wisdom was in the last couple of cycles, it's about crime, but I think it's an economic pitch in the suburbs where the votes are, and we need to talk about that we're the party of fiscal responsibility, you know, things that, that hit home, property taxes, job creation. I want my kids to be able to stay here, the high cost of in-state education, all the bread and butter issues. Get back to those, because I've always believed that the state is not nearly as liberal as has been represented now uh, in the House or even in, in the governor's mansion, that there is a fair to, fairly deep conservative, and conservative, I'm, I'm talking uh, Reagan conservative, not the current Trump conservative, that, you know, that believes in law and order and believes in, in economic growth and they want a pro-growth type uh, leadership. But we need to put people that deliver that message that look like the state of Illinois. It's changed a lot, Bill, since you and I started doing this. You can't just run a bunch of white guys. You need women, you need people of color, you need people that can deliver that message that are actually from the community. So there are solutions there. It's just whether or not the Republicans are going to have the resources to do it in the next 10 years. Um, I, I always thought that if we didn't get behind Bruce Rauner six years ago, that uh, J.B. Pritzker won with all his money, and he's a very effective politician, that the Republican Party was going to be kind of on the brink like the California Party. I mean, it's recoverable, but they need, they're going to need to start doing things differently going forward. Yeah, you need him to go away and run for president, right? Because his money is making the Democrats undefeatable. Yeah, and money, what money, what money brings. And listen, don't discount his abilities as a, a candidate. So I remember when he first started running, um, he might have been on WLS, actually. I was listening to him and go, this guy's a pretty good candidate, you know, whether you agree or disagree with him. And he's got money and he's a good candidate. He's a likable guy. And mm-hmm. he's done a good job managing campaigns and, and, and getting people elected and support. He was very involved. Uh, behind the scenes, I think, in the mayor race and some of the city council races and a lot of these races, and they've had a lot of success. So, um, you know, rather than complaining about them, maybe the Republicans should start doing things more like some of the Democrats that win races. Heck, even when I was party chairman, Bill, said, look at what Mike Madigan does. I don't agree with anything he does, and I was one of the first guys to go after him. But they have a very vigorous training program for their candidates and get out the vote, and it works. Yeah, time and again, you guys just got out-organized, didn't you? Oh, yeah, and out organized in, in the last days. Um, the, the closest we came was in 2010. We came within four or 5,000 votes of actually knocking them out. Uh, as you know, Bill, I mean, in, in the 90s, well, we had 25 years, 25 straight years of Republican governors. So I, I still think the votes can be there, but you can't do it with no organization. You need to have a get out the vote apparatus. Part of the problem is, too, and this is going into the weeds maybe a little too much, the consultants got to get off the you know, the political co- consultants, the type of campaign, it's nothing but TV ads where they get a cut and they leave the state. You need to start investing money in early and absentee voting, those things that the Democrats have done effectively. If you do that, you know, I think that the Republicans have a pretty good chance. Why aren't TV ads and so forth as effective as they used to be? You know, I haven't done a political science look at it, but to me, I guess there's just so much diffusion, right? It's not like Back in the old days, when you and I grew up, we had three channels, right? And your dad made you go change a channel by hand. Uh, there was no channel changer. Yeah. I think that that's part of it. There's just so many ways that people get information that uh, differently than just television and radio um, that it makes the old way of doing things less effective. But the reality is the consultants make a lot of money producing those ads and putting them on. They take their media buy cut. And if you just look at the numbers that were spent in the, even in the urban race, tens of millions of dollars on TV, right? And nothing on get out the vote. And that was Mike Zolnarowicz and that crew that screwed the Republican Party worse than anything. They, uh, there was very little money, if you look at the spending reports, spent on get out the vote, mm-hmm. early absentee, that kind of stuff. So I think there needs to be a change in, in, in that uh, mindset with candidates or, you know, we're just going to get more of the same. What is the typical cut for a media buy that the consultant gets? I think it's like 12.5%, something like that. It varies. 
Yeah. But they, the media buy it and they get production money. So I'm not criticizing them for their business, but in Illinois, we saw just the biggest debacle I've ever seen in that Irving race. We talked about this a year ago where Zona Rovich and those guys came in, spent tens of millions of dollars, and got literally Richard Irving got third place. Like to yeah. Darren Bailey got 58% of the vote. So that approach of just spending millions of dollars on on tv and and radio you do need it but at that level not focusing on getting your vote out or talking to your voters it just doesn't work yeah um and to me so many of the ads are just lies and they are i didn't know there's so many child molesters in the world exactly every every, every trailer again did you Sorry, go ahead. I mean, they're just annoying and they're oh, off-putting oh. and perhaps they contribute to voter apathy, maybe. Or oh. am I t- going too strong there? I agree completely. So I live downtown, right? So I'm in a, I at one point was getting seven, eight mailers a day. Uh, and and uh, um, Richard Irvin mailers, I was getting two or three in my box in a day, the same mailer. And it was always about, you know, Darren Bailey's not a conservative. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, mm. Darren the most conservative guy I know, mm-hmm. but in, in everybody else is a child molester. It was just, it just, I just throw them away. If you and look, and if you go into one of these high rises and just look in the garbage can, that's where they all are. Yeah, exactly uh, right. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about we're talking with Pat Brady about how to bring back the Republican Party as a more moderate party. Jim Edgar couldn't get elected today, could he? No. No, uh, and that's what. So neither could Jim Thompson. Heck, neither could Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Under today's standards, uh, and they've just so morphed or changed the definition of conservatism. Even on the gay, so like gay marriage or abortion, the biggest, or the largest, uh, um, what do you call it, Planned Parenthood center in the state of Arizona is the Barry Goldwater Center, right? The founder <laughs> of the modern conservative movement. Because he believed it's not the government's job to tell people what to do. The same thing with gay marriage. He was pro-gay marriage. Yeah. Point is, true conservatism is limited government, limited spending, strong on national defense. We're not, uh, we're we're not tariff people. So Trump got so far away from that, and the social conservatives got so far away from it. That's just not where people are anymore, and I don't think they've ever been. Well, do you fear that Trump can win again, or do you see somebody out there who is? you know, saluting those values you just described that could win the Republican nomination and have a better shot at Joe Biden? I think there there are. I know DeSantis is kind of the flavor of the day, but having been through these like you have for decades, you know, at this point, in previous, the previous election, I think it was Scott Walker was leading, Newt Gingrich was leading at one point, so was Rudy Giuliani. So I think the two most attractive, the three most attractive candidates right now are Nikki Haley, former U.N. ambassador and governor of South Carolina, super smart, presents herself fantastically, and is, is a conservative. Same with Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina. Another great life story, super likable guy, super smart. And I, the guy that I kind of get a kick out of and I think might have a chance to turn it up is the Governor Sununu from New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. He's the most entertaining, smart guy. He is. Uh, he's just a guy you watch. You go, I like that guy. And the polls now that have DeSantis up 30 points, I can't ignore those national polls because it's a it's a state by state thing. You go to Iowa first, then you go to New Hampshire, and then down to South Carolina and Florida. And those the polls can change the national polls based on what happens in those states can literally change overnight. In 2000, McCain won New Hampshire against George Bush, was down five the next day, he's up 12, inside in the next primary state. So you got to do a state by state, not national focus. And I think. I think I will make a prediction, and I'm often wrong, but I think Trump's going to have problems in New Hampshire. You can't just fly in and out of there anymore. I think they're going to expect him to campaign, and he's a lazy campaigner. Yeah, that's so true about polls. I mean, I'm a big critic of polls. I don't think you can find out what millions of people are thinking by asking a thousand of them. And yet the industry, the political industrial complex, if you will, relies so heavily on polls. Why is that? It, I think it's just they got to grab onto something to to say that they're we know what's going on. I, I, I yeah. agree. We've had a couple of cycles where it was pretty good and a couple where it was horrible. But in the mayor's race, yeah, 
I just assumed going into election night ballots won by three or four. I had real smart people tell me, yeah, yeah three or four. He ended up losing by four, so an eight-point swing, that's way outside the margin of error. But people, you know, it's, it's not Gallup anymore, meaning you know, people don't have landlines. People mm-hmm. lie. People don't want to tell you sometimes. They're getting more sophisticated probably. Um, heck, I, when people call me and they say they're a Democratic poster, I answer all the questions just to see what they're asking. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tell them I'm voting Republican and I'm a liberal Democrat. You know, I'm like whatever. It was good to see the Tribune uh, in recent years drop polling, perhaps because of the cost. But nonetheless, the media are still part of this problem because um, it's easy to reduce the campaigns to a horse race, isn't it? Yeah, and it just like you said, it kind of gives you some. Uh, oh, DeSantis is up thirty. Da da da. And we're going to talk about him and show up. But part of the problem, too, you know, I'm not you know, like the, in the media last time they gave, I think they calculated out Trump uh, a billion dollars in, in free media. They were covering empty podiums because the guy was entertaining. Right. He was going to say something crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they're getting a little better at it. But you saw it in that CNN debate uh, a couple of weeks ago. Just mind bogglingly stupid performance by him. But you know what? <laughs> He's on CNN at seven o'clock, which. It doesn't get the viewership it used to, but I think they need to maybe, um, there's so much news and so much coverage, maybe cut back to what's more relevant or important. Why is it that Trump, with so much political and uh, rather legal damage in its mounting, never seems to suffer from that factor? You know, I've come to the conclusion, Bill, after you know, I've asked myself that question for six years now. I think the, the the Republicans that support him, it's not so much that they're enamored with him. There's 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 some that are. I get that, but they really dislike Joe Biden. And and the flip side for the Democrats, the reason they're coming out and they're going to support Biden, who's you know seventy percent of them don't want him to run, but they're going to vote for Biden over Trump. They really hate Donald Trump. So it's almost a negative uh, kind of approach to why these guys kind of need each other and why they might end up being the nominees, but for the life of me, uh, the Access Hollywood tape, to me, would have been fatal. Heck, he called John McCain not a war hero would have been fatal back in the day. Right. But he, 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 you know, he's going to, he's just reading before I got on, uh, those indictments in the, in the documents case down in Florida are, are imminent. Uh, he, he was in court yesterday, in court mm-hmm. as a defendant, yesterday. He's going to trial <laughs> next March. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, and then we're not even talking about the Kentucky case, which is going to be horrible on trying to, you know, rig the election. What he did, we just watched the ComEd trial here, right? Mm-hmm. What Trump did in these circumstances is substantially worse than any of the defendants I saw in the ComEd trial. And it just, they just, but I, I think the analysis says, too, that people that support Trump believe that they are part of a group of people. I'm not saying it's all wrong that have been left out, not heard from, and treated unfairly. And Trump's their messenger for that, and he does it effectively. And they're willing to overlook uh, his criminality alleged by these uh, charges. Yeah, well, yeah. The, and the, the, I didn't think that they should have brought the New York case cause it, to, against the former president because it was too – I just think it wasn't that big a deal, a books and records thing. Uh, but <laughs> no one says, okay, books and records, hush, hush money, cover up, to cover up having sex with a porn star. And this is the family values candidate. I mean, <laughs> this is the I mean, one that the evangelicals supported. You know, it's just, you can't write, you could, I mean, Veep, you ever, I don't know if you ever, did you ever watch Veep? A little bit. It, this is Veep. I mean, this is what they, it's, just, it's almost like <laughs> art imitating reality. It's just right. stuff you just never thought would happen. I mean, what Trump said years ago, that he could shoot somebody on Madison Avenue in New York City and uh, not lose a vote, is turning out to be true. Yeah, we could be convicted of sexual assault in a was it Bloomberg's or Bloomingdale's or whatever it was dressing room and, and actually raise money and have go up in the polls. Yeah. Who gets indicted and goes up in the polls? Rod Bogoyevich, when he got indicted, was at 9%. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jack, what's his name is about to pull the trigger on the, uh, you know, the classified documents case and maybe the insurrection as well. But it maybe not hurt Trump at all. No, it'll. Be, I I do not. It just nothing hurts him. A conviction might. It, it even seems you know over the years. Even what we've seen at City Hall and other places, 
the indictment's not the end of it. It's the conviction, even with the comment thing, uh, the impact on uh, public opinion on Madigan uh, didn't hit until there's a con- really there's a conviction. But who knows? With Trump, yeah. it doesn't seem anything sticks. Well, we haven't solved the problem of being your, your party being so uh, right wing, have we? No, but it's it's a work in progress, I think. But they need to recruit candidates that more reflect what the people of this state want, uh, and they need to do it sooner rather than later. I'm I'm almost thinking nationally, and maybe in Illinois, that there we might see a third party emerge at some point. I think that's what the Democrats don't want. That they think that'll just get Trump elected, but. I do believe I talked to a lot of obviously I've got a lot of Democratic friends up here, you know, back from the old daily days. Right. And mm-hmm. they don't think they have a home in their party uh, with some of the not necessarily Biden, but some of the real far left. And they're, they're more you know, conservative Democrats than they are far left. So maybe maybe that's the answer. But, it, you know, history, right? Parties come yeah. and go. The Whigs, the Whigs certainly went. Um, got us Abraham Lincoln. But. It's 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 not they're not in a good spot right now, but I'm optimistic we've got good people and good ideas, and if we get them out, that the Republicans make them come back. I'd be careful about going to a third party. I agree. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying that there that there already are some efforts out there to do it. I don't like the Andrew Yang thing because I think he's too he doesn't represent uh, kind of more mainstream ideas. But I, I agree. It's it, it, it's a dangerous place to go. That's moderate Republican Pat Brady, who used to be the chairman of the Illinois GOP when it was much more moderate. Pat, as always, thank you for your time. See you, Bill. Take care. Thanks for having me. Take After a break, our Take One Roundtable. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm a comedian. In my 20s, I was in, like, in a company, and I don't know, like, how marketing, sales. Yeah, you're a brand. You're a company. Yeah, and... Like Jay-Z says, I'm a businessman. Yeah. Yeah. To that... Remind me not to quote any hip-hop lyrics again. That was just a big miss. <laughs> when you first said it, I'm like, yeah, he's a businessman. Yeah, I nailed it at the end. I pulled it together. It just took me a minute. The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. You're listening to Take One with Bill Cameron on WLSAM 890. Time for the roundtable where we just get to tell the truth with Ray Long of the Tribune. Hey, Ray. Hey there, Bill. Greg Hines of Cranes. Hi, Greg. Sir. Heather Sharon of WTTW. Hey, Heather. Hi, Bill. And former City Hall reporter Dave Stewart. Hey, Dave. Hello, Bill. Well, Heather, it's Memorial Day weekend, which is always marked tragically by a lot of violence. So update us on what the new mayor and City Hall have planned to try to prevent as much violence as possible. Well, this is really the first test of Mayor Brandon Johnson's promise to re-envision public safety. And it is a sort of uh, both and uh, strategy. There are certainly going to be officers who are going to work overtime. Officers have had uh, days off canceled. We learned from interim superintendent Fred Waller on Friday, and there will be more officers on patrol. But at the same time, uh, the mayor really is putting a lot of emphasis on activities uh, to indicate that it's not just about policing. It's about giving people um, who might otherwise get into trouble or cause trouble something productive to do. So there are barbecues, there's concerts, there are all sorts of different community events and attempting to give people an alternative to sort of making bad decisions. And he acknowledged in that Friday afternoon press conference that this is really the first test of those promises that helped him get elected mayor of Chicago. And I see the governor sending in so-called peacekeepers. Who are they? Well, that is part of sort of the governor's uh, uh, sort of solution to this. And it's very much a part of this sort of strategy to address crime and violence without necessarily looking toward uh, law enforcement. So these so-called peacekeepers are with the Illinois Department of Human Services, and they are going to work on um, situations where de-escalation and mediation can prevent um, either crime 
in the first place or retaliatory violence. And there's so much of that um, that really sort of increases the especially high tallies of shootings that we've seen on holiday weekends. So this is an indication that at least to this point, the mayor and the governor are in lockstep on this. So they will both wear the jacket a little bit um, if this weekend turns out to be more violent than is normal for a a summer weekend. Um, One thing that they both have working in their favor is that the weather isn't necessarily going to cooperate. It is barely going to get out of the 60s, which means that people will not perhaps be quite as um, quick to flock to the beaches um, and sort of seek relief from the heat as we've seen on some other holiday weekends. Dave, uh, we've heard about approaches like this in the past, perhaps to some lesser degree. How does this strike you? Will this be new and improved? Well, it's supposed to be new and improved, and with some of these other activities and the addition of people from the governor's office, uh, uh, helping out, it maybe it could be, but we also heard this week uh, a kind of a disturbing thing that the rash of carjackings that we've seen over the past couple of years is not kids seeking uh, vehicles for joyrides, but part of an organized uh, effort to get vehicles for short-term use and other crimes. And while the the police are recovering more and more of these, it it leads people to be more wary. And that can't help either. In addition to that, um, I was at a forum this week on the next version of community policing, and they all agree that whatever that is, it's not going to be in place for not only Memorial Day, but it's not going to be in place for whatever the rest of the summer holds. How does it strike you, Ray? Is this going to be something that will work or, you know? Well, I think think they're at the position now where they've got to try everything, and this is a a position where you're turning all the levers here to try to try to stop the violence and maybe this is another way to dress up what they were doing before but uh, maybe they're trying to make it more targeted they're certainly trying to make it clear that there are more ways to control the violence than just increasing the police presence and um the governor's commitment is interesting because in the past, uh, when a governor like Rod Blagojevich offered to send in state troopers, it was uh, rejected as kind of something that uh, Rich Daly didn't want to see. He didn't want to make it look like the city was in need of help uh, and that he could handle it. So the idea that they're working together to try to bring down the violence is one thing. The weather will help. But, you know, this is a city that just a few years ago also had um, people inside their administration sending out emails, um, negotiating uh, firearms deals and making light of deadly Fourth of July violence in black neighborhoods by so-called joking about so-called uh, Chicago safari tours where they could uh, send out people to watch uh, people get shot and killed. It's uh, a very difficult problem to overcome, and uh, this type of uh, activity by a concerted effort, we can only hope will help. Greg, you suppose the business community is impressed by these approaches? Bill, I suspect they're in the same position I am, which is which is Watson. Uh, none of this can hurt; it can only help. Uh, but uh, you are absolutely right that the, the themes that Mayor Johnson has struck. Well, we're going to have we're going to have more more cops on the streets, and they're not just going to be in downtown; they're going to be in the neighborhoods. And yeah, we're going to have more peacemakers. I think JB said in what thirty people. Um, and yeah, we're going to try to have activities for kids. None of that could possibly hurt. The question, though, is: Is it going to be sustained, and how much good, and good will it do? One of the other reports came out this week uh, was about community policing, which was a big Lori Lightfoot initiative where we were going to send cops out in the neighborhoods and we were to work real carefully with people and get to know them and figure out what their problems are. Well, the report said that hey, uh, the, the city's been sporadic. Uh, that when there's a problem, they pull the they pull the people out. It hasn't fully funded the thing. Um, so that's one problem. Um, I think stuff like alternate activities probably does most for for teenagers. 
you know, kids are 15, 16, 17. They're, they're not, they're not, they've not hardened into a bad life at that point. There's ways to reach them. And uh, they essentially just want to, you know, not be bored and do some stuff that's fun and cool. Um, once it gets a little older, though, I don't know how much, how much is that good how much good that does. Uh, one of the other problems it strikes me that's facing Chicago right now is anybody who writes a CTA knows that on, on a given day, it's awful. It doesn't, the trains don't show up. The buses don't show up. Why not? Well, they can't hire enough people. Mm -hmm. What the heck? We're talking about lack of opportunities. These are great jobs. They pay fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year. It doesn't require a, a lot of education to get them. You know, is there is there a missing piece there where you can't put together problem A and problem B in South Post? Yeah, but nobody's done it. Hey, Heather, what, in addition to this issue, what did we learn about the new mayor this week as he conducted his first city council meeting and the follow-up press conference? Well, we learned that uh, his ability to run the city council meeting is still very much a work in progress. It's a little bit complicated, and he was a little bit rough around the edges. But he struck a very different tone than former Mayor Lightfoot or former Mayor Rahm Emanuel. He really made a concerted attempt to lead with humor, cracked several jokes, and sort of tried to make it more of an enjoyable experience for the older people than it has been in recent years. And asked about that afterwards, uh, the mayor said that he was working on a stand-up routine that he planned, you know, to take citywide. So that gives you a sense of this is a very different mayor than we've had in recent past. Um, but, you know, he's also facing a huge amount of pressure. The vote um, on a proposal to use $51 million to help care for the asylum seekers was blocked by opponents of the mayor. And he's going to have to come back um, in a week and try to get that pushed through again. Um, and, you know, he's going to have to sort of figure out sort of how to navigate that opposition um, while promising to bring all of Chicago together, which is very difficult because if you promise that you're going to work with everybody and you're going to bring everybody um, you know, to the table and everybody's going to feel heard, um, that potentially sets up a problem where your opponent's intractable opposition becomes your failure, whether or not that is really your fault or not. So he's got a lot of problems facing him. Yeah, what do you think, Dave? We've seen a lot of city council meetings. Does humor work against so many problems? Humor works sometimes, and it does. And, and ang actually, anger works other times. If you if you are uh, righteously angry about something, that can be an effective tool as well. But better to lead with humor, I think, first time out of the box, and and admit that things are a little rough around the edges. But rough around the edges is also uh, kind of a, a watchword too for the entire city council while the mayor did get the organizational lineup that he wanted with the people that he wanted in uh, a certain number of committees which wasn't the the reform uh, package that was put through at the end of the last uh, uh, city council term a lot of the people in a lot of the key committees are new to those jobs and so there's going to be a learning curve for a lot of them as well so uh, it's, it's not only the mayor who's learning to navigate uh, a whole new set of systems as the city council moves forward and addresses some of the key problems that we uh, have already been talking about, including the, uh, the crisis with the, uh, the asylum seekers. What do you think, Ray? The new mayor probably deserves the benefit of the doubt, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't think his honeymoon is over, but I do think that uh, he has to start rolling out some specifics, and he does have to show some progress. Now, uh, Memorial Day weekend, if it's a disaster, he's going to be right in the thick of it immediately. Um, I do think also that you've got to try to convince people to work together, that this is not a city of tribes uh, as much as it has been in the last few years. Um, we've seen a breaking apart and a not-in-my-backyard attitude taken into the whole migrant situation. Now, there are other groups, there are some groups that are willing to, to throw an open hand to the migrants, but there are others who are ready to throw a punch. So it, it just needs to be worked out with some type of... Uh, open heart here because this is a city that is says it's welcoming if it's going to say 
it's a sanctuary city. It needs to not only talk the talk, it needs to walk the walk. And, Greg, I think I heard you at the presser after the city council meeting trying to get uh, some reaction from the mayor to a new idea for Bears legislation at Arlington Park. What was this all about? Um, I asked him if he's willing to meet with uh, Representative Marty Moylan, who's the uh, sponsor of the latest bill that that comes up, uh, one that's, among other things, uh, uh, would throw a bunch of money at the Chicago Park District to pay part of the bill that's still left over, the the, the bonds and the debt from uh, rebuilding uh, Soldier Field for the Bears. And uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't bite at all. He wouldn't commit. Uh, he ducked it. He ducked it, uh, several other substantive questions other reporters asked. Um, uh, he is indeed still getting his feet wet here. Um, he's going to try not to deal with crises uh, until he has to. I wish him good luck. Uh, crises have a habit of jumping in your lap sometimes, and you can't avoid them. Um, but I will admit, I thought that his his use of humor was refreshing. Uh, I think he was trying to say, hey, I'm not Laurie Lightfoot. I'm going to do things a little bit different. Um, and and initially, it was successful. But, you know, that's day one, day two. What happens day 15, wait, day 20, we'll find out. Does the legislation have a chance? Uh, Bill, I think uh, I would have said it didn't have a chance. Um, but there's been a, a subtle shift. The original, um, the original approach was, um, well, let's uh, let's create a big, let's have a big TIF district or, or something like that, uh, that essentially will screw the public school district and we'll take their money and we'll use it to subsidize the bears. And that didn't go over very well. Well, Marlins Bill takes a different approach. Instead of instead of uh, instead of taking money, it spreads around money. It, it would create a ticket tax. It would take some of the money. It would go to the village of Franklin Heights, which would be the big tax winner here. And it gives it to neighboring towns to help them pay some of their costs for infrastructure. All the traffic would be around, and, and it offers uh, some money, like I said, in Chicago Park District to, to part to pay part of the bill. Now, is it enough? No, I think Marlins going to have to go much bigger than he's gone. But at a certain point, uh, somebody at City Hall is going to have to decide, are we going to continue to fight this when the Bears are going to go anyhow, probably? Or or is is the deal sweet enough that we ought to take the bird in hand? That's the question he's he's trying to pose. Like I said, I don't think there's enough money on the table yet, but might there be a little bit later? It's worth watching. Hey, we should talk about the other big story this week, uh, the report by the Attorney General that cleric sex abuse isn't just 103 priests, but 450 and nearly 2,000 cases. Heather, did this surprise you? Um, It did surprise me, and I think that it uh, sickens me, honestly, to be uh, frank. Um, I'm Catholic. My kids are Catholic. And I think the the most startling fact was that there were literally hundreds of, of priests throughout the state who had these sort of uh, sustained allegations against them that the various um, archdiocese and dioceses did not detail um, until being forced to by the attorney general. And I think that that lack of disclosure is probably the most damaging thing to come out of the attorney general's report um, and will mean very hard questions for Archbishop Blaise Stupich as well as other um, um, other bishops around the state. Uh, Dave, what was your take on this one? I, I was surprised at the... Uh, at the size of it, I probably wouldn't have been surprised that that more people than we knew about were um, justifiably accused of these kinds of uh, heinous activities. But I was surprised that there were so many more than we knew about because that speaks to the continuing uh, covering up of all of this stuff, the shuffling of uh, people from one parish to another in an attempt to hide it, and, and the things that we've heard of. It's heard of uh, so often as, as this scandal has rolled out over the past decades or so. Seems like it, it didn't hasn't ended, hasn't changed, and despite the protestations of uh, the last few cardinals, it, it's continuing. Or the impact isn't isn't as widely known. So it's yeah, it's disgusting. It is disgusting. But Ray, I got to admit, I wasn't surprised. I guess because I'm cynical about this. Were you surprised, Ray? No, I wasn't surprised, unfortunately. Um, I thought the number was astounding, but I still wasn't surprised by it. Uh, the Tribune has put together a searchable database where you can punch in your your hometown, or you can punch in your 
your uh, uh, church and, uh, you know, even small towns like where I grew up in uh, southern Illinois, uh, central Illinois, folks in Chicago would consider it southern Illinois, but just uh, west of Springfield uh, in a small town, there were, there were, you know, examples in that too. And I, and I just felt that, um, this is something that the Catholic church has got to come clean on. It still is defensive and, um, why they're defensive is a big question that lingers over all of this. Greg, you suppose there are even more cases that we don't know about? Has the sun come up in the morning, Bill? Yeah. Um, You know, morally, politically, in a public relations sense, I don't quite understand why the church hasn't learned the lesson here. The the lesson is it comes up, you deal with it immediately, and you you have full disclosure about it. I mean, if they're willing to uh, throw Father Flager under the bus, remember, uh, he was accused, he was suspended uh, for after an allegation came in. They turned out to be not uh, uh, not well-founded. He was reinstated to his ministry, but there's no more prominent or loved cleric in this town than, than Father Flager. If they can do it to him, they can do it to, to anybody, and they ought to, because uh, uh, there's, there's no way they're going to regain public confidence uh, until after a long period of time they prove they're really serious about rooting out this kind of disgusting behavior, and they haven't done it yet. And- and Flager wasn't on the list either. So, um, you know, he was, like Greg said, uh, the ca- his cases were f- unfounded. And so um, we knew that he was being investigated because he's so high profile. But how many of these uh, are being investigated that we don't even know about? Yeah. Well, let's take a break here. And when we come back, we got to talk about that glitchy Ron DeSantis debut with Elon Musk on uh, Musk's. Twitter platform. Hey, everybody. This is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen. You're listening to Take One with Bill Cameron on WLSAM 890. Back with the roundtable now, and it was like 25 minutes of dead air and in-and-out glitchy sound as DeSantis and Musk tried to announce his bid for president. Heather, what do you think of that one? Well, I think that <laughs> you never want your uh, the sort of the, the structure or the process of your announcement to overshadow uh, the substance of what you're announcing, and that was certainly the case last night. I also, you know, ha- spend a fair amount of time uh, – um, in my day job, contemplating why politicians do the things that they do. And this has left me puzzled because I, I'm not really sure why Ron DeSantis thought it served him to sort of have equal billing during his presidential announcement with Elon Musk. And um, you never want to share the spotlight with, with dogs or kids, right? And I wasn't sure why he wanted to share the, the spotlight with such a, a polarizing uh, billionaire who, you know, in recent weeks has made significantly anti-Semitic statements and, of course, it sort of um, changed the way Twitter operates significantly. So the whole thing left me puzzled, but um, it makes me glad to be a political reporter because it's the greatest show out there. (laughs) No doubt about that. How about you, Dave? What's your take on this one? Well, you and I have been at enough remote radio broadcasts over the course (laughs) of years. You know that the, the people who actually engineer them and put them on have belt and suspenders ready to go. There are backup systems. If the, if the one phone line goes down, we have another phone line to, to get the signal out. I don't know technically enough to know why it's screwed up, but the if impact is it looked inept, and it made the candidate look inept, and it looked made Elon Musk look inept, and what a way to start. I mean, that's not even getting into the fact of why, as Heather pointed out, he's he, he hitched his wagon to Elon Musk for an opening statement, you'd think he'd want to indicate that he's broadening his appeal, that he is broadening his support, but the things he's doing 
legislatively, and, and this certainly don't seem to push in that direction, at least the way it turned out. And Ray, did you see a Trump offering up a video of one of Musk's rockets tipping over and exploding on the platform? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not a bad comeback. I mean, if this is going to be uh, Trumpisms versus Ron and Elon's excellent adventure, it's going to be quite the show on the Republican side. They've got to both get their act together. Um, but the oddity is that uh, Trump continues to galvanize a, a worshipful base of people who just can't uh, break the cult-like hold that he has on them. So um, this was a gleeful moment for the Trump folks. It was gleeful for a lot of Democrats. But uh, uh, Ron uh, tried to spin it so that he could he could say that, well, you know, I hope we'll break break other records here, too. Well, we broke the Internet and caused a meltdown here. I hope we'll be shattering other other standards, too. But that's about the best you can spend. And, Greg, what was your take on the DeSantis liftoff? And, Bill, it uh, <laughs> kind of reminds me of the Chicago winter. Snowflakes like to hang together. Um, <laughs> it... Uh, you know, if I were a Republican, uh, I'd be just, I'd just, be, I'd just be crying. Joe Biden is very vulnerable. There's often all kinds of reports showing that uh, even his own party people think that uh, he's past his prime and whatever. But uh, the Republicans continue to, to roll out this uh, this crazy show. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, and, and Trump still continues to have support. If you go on the uh, the, the uh, Facebook page of Darren Bailey, remember Darren? Republican nominee for governor just a few months ago. Uh, right on it, it says, you know, I'm Darson Donald Trump again. Uh, you know, and he's doing that because he thinks it's going to help him, I think, run for Congress uh, against Mike Boats in the southern end of the state, uh, where the politics are different than they are up here. Uh, is it going to help anybody either? Is it going to help either of them? Uh, is it going to help Trump win Illinois? I doubt it. Uh, not against Biden, but uh, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. Like I said, snowflakes hanging out together. Really is, really is. That's Greg Hines of Cranes. Thanks to him. Also to Dave Stewart, former City Hall reporter, Ray Long of the Tribune, and Heather Sharon of WTTW. And a big thanks to Ford Motor this week for deciding not to pull AM radio out of their new cars. Way to go, Ford. Also, thanks for production assistance to Michael Garay. I'm Bill Cameron. You've been listening to Take One with Bill Cameron. Unedited interviews with Chicago newsmakers and compelling discussions about local breaking news. Take One with Bill Cameron on WLSAM 890. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. Scott Grimes is here Thank with you. us. Voiceover, that is like my dream job. I think I just have too distinctive a voice and I can't manipulate it. That's why I'm right. not a good singer. This is how great Seth MacFarlane is. I went in to do it and I was talking like this and he goes, good, now just get rid of the neck thing that you just did because it's one, it's ugly. And then I just came out like this and came up with this guy named Steve Smith who has a tiny little lisp, but so does Scott Grimes, so it's perfect. What Women Binge, wherever you listen.